I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. And it sounds a little different, doesn't it? This is going to be weird for just a little while as we are going through a bit of a transition phase with the show. As I'm sure many of you know, I am now the solo host of Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, though I am on the hunt for another co-host. It's going to be a bit of a process as I want to make sure that I find the best fit possible and somebody who really aligns with you know, the views that Keegan and I have shared over the last four and a half years and can really continue to take this podcast further. But until that day comes, I am going to be inviting lots of friends, fellow podcasters, and sometimes just doing this by myself. And I'm going to do my best to keep the same spirit of the show alive. I still want to give you your mini episodes where we can talk about the news. It's just not going to be as conversational for now. And then I also still want to give you full-length episodes with similar types of topics that Keegan and I had covered in the past. There are still so many things on our list of what we wanted to cover, and I don't want to let you down, so I'm going to continue to go through that list. Before I get into the news today, first and foremost, I wanted to thank everybody so much from the very bottom of my heart for all of your love and support for both myself, for Keegan, and for the show as a whole during this whole transition process. Your messages, your love and support has been heard. It's been so motivating for me as this has kind of been a little bit of a scary time and process for me, but but we are moving right ahead and let's do it. 
So if you were paying attention to the news this week, you may have heard about the Johnsons, that is Herschel and Christian Johnson. And I was hearing their names a lot this week. And I remember hearing about Herschel Johnson um, throughout the years as being one of Trump's buddies and things like that. But I wanted to get into a little bit of what's going on right now and why it's become such a hot button topic in the news. So, former football running back Herschel Johnson has been all over the news this week, as has his son Christian. Herschel, who I feel is important to note, is a black man, and he was a huge proponent of Trump's in 2016 and 2020. And in 2018, Trump named him the President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition, which is a special government employee position, part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Service. So when I clicked on the Wikipedia page of this President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition, it does kind of seem like it's like a specialty thing that was added. It kind of reminds me of like when you would do the presidential uh, fitness exams every year in PE or in gym class to any Gen Zers, please tell me if they still do this or not, because I could only kill it in like one of the sections. And that was the uh, crunches. For some reason, I could do crunches like forever and never have to stop when I was a kid. Other than that, my athleticism was done with figure skating. Okay, anyway, so he is now running for a Senate seat in Georgia and, of course, has some far-right-leaning campaign platforms. He supports the ban on abortion with no exceptions for rape, incest, or when the life of the mother is in danger, to which he describes as excuses. So fun. We love this. He is also a vocal critic of absentee fathers and promotes family values. This would be bad enough if the man spewing this bullshit meant what he said, but it had come out this week that he had allegedly paid for an ex's abortion back in 2009. The woman who came forward with this information has chosen to stay anonymous, but she has provided the receipts. She was able to show a literal receipt of $575 from the clinic, an image of a signed personal check from Herschel Walker for $700, and a get well card signed allegedly by Herschel. After the Daily Beast released this information, Herschel had a heyday on Twitter. He called the piece a flat-out lie and a democratic attack and threatened to sue the Daily Beast, although it doesn't appear that any lawsuit has happened as of yet. Now let's talk about his adult son, Christian, who is actually a conservative influencer. And when I first read that, I thought that I'd read it wrong, assuming that a conservative son would probably fall in line with his conservative father and have his back. But I didn't know the backstory. So when the news story about Herschel's alleged um, paying for an abortion came out, Christian went on Twitter saying, quote, I know my mom and I would really appreciate if my father Herschel Walker stopped lying and making a mockery of us. You're not a family man when you left us to bang a bunch of women, ugh, threatened to kill us, ugh, and had us move over six times in six months running from your violence. I don't care about someone who has a bad past and takes accountability, but how dare you act as though you're some moral Christian upright man. You've lived a life destroying other people's lives. How dare you? So let's get into a little bit about what Christian wrote and what we know about the facts behind these statements. So. In 1995, Cindy Grossman, Herschel's ex-wife, secured a protective order against him citing violent behavior. 
Cindy once told ABC News that he had pointed a gun at her head and told her that he would kill her. Another one of his exes told police in 2012 that Herschel also threatened to, quote, blow her brains out as well. Though he is outspoken about his dislike for absentee fathers, it came out earlier this year that he has a number of, quote, secret children, which I think is such a sad and gross phrase for some reason, that he's never acknowledged. Sadly, none of these things will likely hurt Herschel Walker's career, as he isn't the first Republican to be unearthed as a raging hypocrite. Trump has even stepped in, calling the allegations fake news, of course. And conservative commentator and former spokesperson for the NRA, Dana Loesch, or Losh, I don't care because she sucks, has come out to say, quote, winning is a virtue. I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort baby eagles. I want control of the Senate. Holy shit. The next topic I wanted to discuss is... Kanye West. Let's talk about Kanye and his shenanigans that he got up to this week. Now, I think talking about Kanye is incredibly important, but it's also so nuanced. We know this person struggles with severe mental illness, yet he has so much power and influence over people that when he does and says dangerous things, they still have consequences. His latest antic was part of his fashion show at Paris Fashion Week where he dressed his models in shirts emblazoned with White Lives Matter on the back. Along with the models wearing these shirts was none other than Miss Candace Owens. His actions have, of course, received backlash from the fashion and music industries, but has also brought up a lot of pain for those who have fallen victim to police brutality. So shortly after Ahmaud Arbery was murdered, Kanye was one of the celebrities to come forward and really support the family, and it sounds like had somewhat of a communicative relationship with Ahmaud's mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, and Wanda spoke with Rolling Stone earlier this week through an attorney saying that Kanye's actions, quote, fly directly in the face of what he had expressed to their family after Ahmad was murdered. She also relayed through her attorney, quote, as a result of his display, White Lives Matter started trending in the U.S., which would direct support and legitimize extremist behavior, much like the behavior that took the life of her son. And when I was doing research for this topic, what I'll usually do just to see what the most recent news on anything is, is I Google it and I hit the news tab and kind of just see what is looking good from there. And what was interesting is I was actually finding a lot of articles that were from not that long ago discussing how the White Lives Matter movement has become less prominent. And I think that is specifically, quote, White Lives Matter, because we know that there are so many white nationalist groups that are parading their evil around the world all the time. But I was thinking about this, and I think that the tie to the fall of the, quote, White Lives Matter movement has a direct tie to our lack of care for the Black Lives Matter movement. This was something that Keegan and I discussed so much during 2020, and that was this fear that people would move on and move forward and forget about how we felt when Ahmad was killed, how George Floyd, you know, how we felt when George Floyd was killed. Um, I mean, there's so many others that I don't have written in front of me, but it was such a visceral, emotional time for so many people. And we lost so many lives in the fight for racial equality during protests and all of these things. And it just seems like Black Lives Matter has been pushed under the rug so much. And 
it makes me so sad because I know that there is so much police brutality that is happening as I'm talking to you that happens all the time that we're not aware of, that we're not able to speak out against and advocate for these people. So while I think it's a great thing that these white nationalists that are involved, particularly with the White Lives Matter movement, I think that's great that for a while that was becoming less of a trending topic. But I do think that that has a lot to do with the fact that the arguments in the media are not so much about whether black lives or white lives matter more anymore, which is fine. Um, I know what argument is going to win there. But I think that it does need to become part of the conversation again. And I I really hope, and I, I know... The listeners are not at fault for any of this. I think we're all very equal-minded with the way that we feel about these causes. But I do hope that if anything, from Kanye's display, there will be more voices echoing and amplifying the Black Lives Matter movement as a result of all of this. Let's take a real quick break. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. I'm sure you all have heard by now that the amazingly popular YouTube channel group, whatever you want to call them, the Try Guys have had unbelievable controversy this week. So the Try Guys are a group of men who originally came from BuzzFeed who made videos of them trying different things, essentially. That was the basis of all their videos. It was amusing, and I used to be a very avid watcher of the Try Guys when BuzzFeed was in its heyday. Fun fact, I am in a BuzzFeed video entitled Be My BFF, so if any of you want to go back into the bowels of YouTube to find that video, let me know and definitely read the comments because people were outing me years before I came out myself and it's kind of hilarious to look back on now. 
Anyway, I watch their videos a lot. They started as single guys doing silly videos, but as the years went on and they left BuzzFeed, their videos showed more and more of their personal lives. I remember the moving video Eugene Lee Yang made back in 2019 entitled I'm Gay, which was a moving and artistic piece demonstrating his coming out story. Then there was the relationships the guys formed. Keith Habersberger got married to Becky, and Ned Fulmer married Ariel. Eventually, Ned and Ariel had a kid, and the kid and the wife all became common fixtures in Try Guy videos. Ned and Ariel were definitely the couple in the Try Guys, and Ned's whole persona was that of a nerdy, doting husband-turned-dad whose whole life seemed to be surrounded by family and his dudes. However, Ned got himself in some hot water recently when fans spotted him out with one of his employees at what appears to be a bar or nightclub, and the two were seen kissing and holding each other very close. Once Keith, Zach, and Eugene got wind of what was going on, apparently it was fans that actually alerted them, they began a three-week investigation into the relationship and Ned's behavior in the workplace. During that time, they edited Ned out of all of their old videos, something that sounds like an absolute nightmare for any editor, and removed Ned from all workplace activities. Once the investigation was complete, the three guys remaining signed a contract, kicking Ned out of the business. On Monday, the remaining three guys, Eugene, Zach, and Keith, released a somber and honest video explaining the situation. In the video, they lament about how Ned had been a friend and business partner for the last eight years, and this experience was hard on them, but they know that what Ned was doing was not appropriate. And I, for one, am proud of how accountable his friends, or maybe his former friends, are making him. It isn't popular in our society for a bro to go against their fellow bro, or man to go against their fellow man. There's a bro code, after all. But luckily, the tides seem to have changed a bit, and more and more men are standing up against the actions of people they care about for the greater good. The guys also mentioned how these types of controversies are, quote, a lot harsher on women than men, and made a request of kindness and privacy for the families and people involved. I also appreciated this part of their statement because I can only imagine the vitriol that the female co-worker has had to avoid during this controversy. I want to take a quick sec to talk about the issue of power imbalance in their relationship. So Ned, as the employer, had full power to fire her, influencing her career and her financial stability, which gives Ned a lot of power over not just their relationship, but over her. Also, employees are not able to fully consent to sexual romantic acts involving their boss. They may insincerely, quote-unquote, consent over fear of losing their job or being treated differently or badly at work, but all in all, the employer has all of the power. Ned was co-founder and partner, manager, executive producer, and hold on to your friggin' butts, he was the whole fucking HR department! Because there was literally no one else working in HR, it's very possible that other employees had no one to report his conduct to. This is the thing that absolutely blew my mind and that I don't think is being talked about enough. To me, that is so unbelievably manipulative and scary. On Thursday, Ariel, Ned's wife, was stopped by paparazzi and was asked about her marriage. She told them that she and Ned were, quote, working things out before getting into a Tesla with Ned. Both were seen wearing their wedding rings. 
I have no comment to make about the state of their marriage as no one should have a say in someone else's relationship, but I will say that I hope Ariel is taking care of herself and making herself a priority during this time. I also hope she has a strong support system around her to be there. Now, we mentioned her on the podcast, I believe, fairly recently. We discussed Sasheen Littlefeather, who is notorious for being the one to decline Marlon Brando's 1973 Academy Award for The Godfather on his behalf. Unfortunately, she has passed away this week. She died peacefully in her home on Sunday, surrounded by loved ones in her California home. She unfortunately died of breast cancer, and I do want to mention, because we are in the month of October, that it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so I will be putting some sort of links in the bio in regard to that. She and Marlon did this Oscar stunt in protest of Hollywood's portrayal of Native Americans. It would go on to become one of the most infamous moments in Oscar history until the infamous slap of 2022. So Marlon had apparently wrote an eight-page long speech, according to Sasheen, but she was warned by producers backstage to keep it short or she would be arrested. Also, she was only 26 at the time, and that sounds really intimidating. When she approached the stage, donned in moccasins and a buckskin dress, Sasheen said, Hello, my name is Sasheen Littlefeather. I'm Apache, and I am president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards, that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, and on television, in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening, and that we will in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. She then approaches the podium and refuses to take the Oscar statue being offered to her by Roger Moore. She was met with a bit of applause here and there, but there were also loud boos and catcalls. Presenters after the fact, Raquel Welch and Clint Eastwood, both made jokes at Sasheen's expense, and further attacks on her reputation made an end to her acting career that had just barely begun. Her film credits included The Laughing Policeman and The Trial of Billy Jack. It was literally two weeks ago that the Academy of Motion Pictured issued a long overdue apology to Sasheen, nearly 50 years after the event occurred. Sadly, the apology event, billed as a night of conversation, healing, and celebration, would be her last public appearance. Before the event, she spoke with the San Francisco Chronicle in an interview where she described her moment on the Oscar stage. What I said that night was the truth, she said. I spoke my heart, not for me, myself as an Indian woman, but for we and us, for all Indian people. I didn't go up there on the stage with a clenched fist, with profanity, yelling and screaming, but with compassion and empathy. I had to speak the truth. Whether or not it was accepted, it had to be spoken on on behalf of Native people, and also because of what was going on in Wounded Knee, where there was a complete media blackout. Orrin Lyons, Dennis Banks, and Russell Means told me after the fact that my speech broke the media blackout. And Sasheen Littlefeather did so much more than make a 60-second speech at the Oscars. She became a founding board member of the American Indian AIDS Institute in San Francisco. She did hospice work with Mother Teresa, and so much more. A memorial will be held for her soon in Fairfax, California, 
And in lieu of flowers, Sashin has requested donations to the American Indian Child Resource Center at 522 Grand Avenue in Oakland, California. Links to make a donation will also be in the show notes. All right, let's end this episode on a gay note. Gay as in happy and gay as in women loving women. As a longtime fan of Scooby-Doo, I've always felt a kinship to Velma. She was a bit frumpy, which is how I saw myself growing up, clumsy, which I still am, and obviously not straight. I don't think I was fully cognizant of this when I was a kid, but I knew, you know? Just like when I knew I wasn't straight but didn't know how to verbalize it until I was in my late 20s. Thankfully, a new Scooby-Doo movie entitled Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo has put the question of Velma's sexuality to rest. Previous Scooby writers have come forward to confirm that Velma is in fact a lesbian throughout the years, but said pushback from studios kept them from openly depicting her that way in the show. This included the depiction of Velma in the live-action movie that came out in 2002. So James Gunn, the writer of the film, said that he had originally written Velma as, quote, explicitly gay, but the script kept getting watered down more and more until production started. In one scene of this, what I am going to already claim as a gay classic, Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo, it shows a blushing, crushing Velma at the sight of a new character, Coco Diablo, and really quick side rant, Diablo, as in devil, really, I, I know that it's an actual name, but I'm wondering why they chose that name for one of the first openly gay characters. Like, it just kind of seems like a negative in my opinion, but the name sounds cool, so I don't know. I haven't seen the movie don't come for me. But that's my only complaint. In a later scene, Velma tells Daphne that she's, quote, crushing big time and later asks her, what do I do? What do I say? This tracks since Velma is rarely given any sort of love interest except for a few flirtatious exchanges with Johnny Bravo in a 90s crossover. Hey, little mama. Like we always say, the more representation of different sexualities, races, cultures, ethnicities that we have in our media, the better. And I really wish Little Mads could have had this kind of example when she was young. And that's it. That's everything I have for you today. I actually can't believe that I filled up this much time by myself. So like I said at the top, now more than ever, I could really, really use both your feedback and your support. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know and email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message me or direct message me on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. If you want to follow me personally, my Instagram page is at She's Madigan. Last but not least, the best way that you can possibly show your support during this time, and seriously, y'all are killing it. I cannot even begin. If you haven't done so already, though, and you do enjoy the show, please go to the Apple Podcast app and leave a positive five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. I just want to leave you all with saying one more time how unbelievably thankful I am for each and every single person who reached out to me, who has shown the love, who has reviewed, who's liked, who's listened. Your love and support throughout the last four and a half years and on means the absolute world to me. And that's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. I'm Fred Armisen. I play Bob in the new Realm podcast, Black Friday. And I'm Amy. I'm uh, not in the podcast, but I am here to tell you about it. What is scarier than Black Friday for retail employees? All those 
enthusiastic shoppers and two-for-one steak knife sets. So what if working the sales didn't just feel like hell, but there was an actual hellhole in your store and zombies attacking you and your coworkers? That's the premise for this new podcast from Realm, Black Friday, starring Emmy-nominated actor and former SNL cast member Fred Armisen. After a portal to an otherworldly hellscape is opened in the middle of their store, Mark Club employees must beat back the evil that has escaped before the store opens to Black Friday customers. This horror comedy podcast is like Evil Dead meets Office Space, and is the perfect depiction of how retail jobs can sometimes be literal hell. If this show sounds like it's up your shopping aisle, I mean, up your alley, then you know what you should do? Listen to Black Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, what Fred said. And be sure to subscribe or visit realm.fm for more information.